I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Gather around the campfire, everyone. It's time for The, the Connor and Smith Show. Tell us a story. Well, today we're going to talk about somebody who's very familiar to our hearts, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and his legacy and musical that Matt Connor and Grace Barnes wrote called Nevermore. Um, so we can't wait to talk about it. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. From Dathan Auerbach, author of Pen Pal, comes the chilling horror novel Bad Man. Booklist raves, It's Magnificent, The Shining, set in a grocery store. The Washington Post calls it atmospheric and unsettling, takes on an aura of almost gothic menace. And USA Today says it's wickedly effective and saves its darkest deeds for an unnerving end. Bad Man by Dathan Auerbach. Available at 1000vultures.com. Okay, so let's let's talk about the Nevermore journey. What drew you? What what's the timeline? What year was this? When when did you first uh, get some kind of clue into Edgar Allan Poe? And tell me that journey. Okay, this was probably around two thousand three, perhaps, and I was still auditioning and getting uh, major roles in Washington, and always looking for material to audition with. And by major roles, I mean minor ones. <laughs> and um, I happened to run into the Borders or Barnes & Noble. I don't remember which was still around. It was probably Barnes & Noble. And I saw a Poe anthology book that was really huge. And I just started looking through it. And I thought, oh, wow. I, I could find a really cool monologue or in here to do for auditions and like really shock the auditioners by like, I'll be doing... The Mask of the Red Death, a one-man show by Matt Connor, or whatever, you know. So I took it out, and like a lot of books, uh, my piano at that time was sort of like my library, and the book sat on the piano as if it was a hymnal on the, you know, book prop area. Mm -hmm. and The book holder. And um, one evening, uh, I started noodling around with some chords and stuff and in the back of the book was all of his poetry and the very last uh, page was the poem dreams and I started noodling around with some chords with on, uh, with dreams uh, and Ryan Dean he should probably be here for this conversation Ryan Dean uh, our best friend and producer of this podcast um, actually um, started singing um some of the melodies that we were making up together. And um, we, we basically created the, the song Dreams. Okay. Uh, and, of course, Ryan was kind of my muse with that. I, Me and you always worked with, with different muses on our songs, people kind of singing our music as we were kind of constructing it to say, yes, do this, no, do that, whatever. But then, um, I don't remember how many songs Ryan and I kind of worked on together, but it was probably... You know, three, four. I remember friends would come over sometimes and say, y'all sing us the Poe po song or whatever. But anyway, um, 
slowly, I remember us moving into our new Farrington house, and by then, the the material had grown richer. I had created different outlines of what this Poe show could be. Um, Alicia Gamble at one time said, have you looked at Dreamland? You should do Dreamland. Um, and one friend said to me one time, what are you going to do with this? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to be ready. And sure enough, in 2005-ish, mm. our house caught on fire. No, our house caught on fire 2003. 2003. Okay, then I must have bought this book 2001, 2000. Mm-hmm. It was a, a while. So anyways, our house got caught on fire 2003. We had to find a place to live. Ryan had to find a place to live. We moved in with Eric Schaefer, artistic director of Signature Theater. One night I was playing the piano and playing some Poe stuff. And then that just sparked the interest of Eric and the rest kind of became history. Next thing I know, I'm getting a call from Signature Theater that said they want to commission the show. I had no idea what that meant. So I acted like it was a good thing. I was like, okay, great. Um, which means that they were putting up money to do a workshop of the show. The show then was slated to have a, uh, a production. It ended up being um, written with Grace Barnes, who is Scottish, living at the in Australia, I think at the time, or both, backwards and forth. Uh, she also wrote Crossing with me at Signature Theatre. And, um, uh, and then it ended up being orchestrated by Jonathan Tunick, which was a crazy That's thing. huge. Jonathan Tunick, of course, is like Stephen Sondheim's personal ranger and has like won many. Um, he, he's one of the EGOT winners. Um, Emmy. An EGOT? An EGOT is the, someone who has won the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony, and got also a Helen Hayes nomination. No, I'm kidding. So it's a he got. It's a he got. He got them all. No, it's a EGOT. <laughs> I like he got he got them all he got them all um and uh so the whole show consisted of nothing but Poe's poetry our friend Jenny Cartney became the music director and transcribed a lot of the Poe's poetry and Grace's script and Grace's script yes but there was no other lyrics in the in the poem in the uh, in the score except for Poe's poetry uh, of course, all of the underscoring, for the most part, was created in the room, rehearsal room, with me just sitting down and making up stuff right then and there in the middle of rehearsal. Like the Mask of the Red Death and all that stuff that happened was done just right there on the fly. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. All the bum, ba ba bum. And you were just kind of accompanying the action? I, w- I was just watching Dan. Wow. Yeah. All of that music was created. And Jenny listened and taped, recorded, and then wrote it all out. Uh, but that was done... Jenny Cartney. Yeah, Jenny Cartney um, notated the score. And then the score ended up being picked up by Theatrical Rights. It had a run, you know, it ran in the UK. It had a run uh, in the in Australia. It's been done in Canada. It's been done probably almost 30 productions in the US. Many times here locally. There's a lot of uh, fans here locally just because it was done at Signature. And um, currently I just found out that this summer... Theatrical Rights no longer owns the rights to Nevermore, so now it is back in my property. It's now me and Grace and Jonathan Tunick are back as sole owners of the work. <clears throat> so if you, have, if you want to do the work, you kind of have to go through us now until we find another um, housing um, publisher for the uh, show. Oh, and, wow. And that's kind of the, the, the short, long, short 
story of Nevermore. Well, but there are other Nevermores out there. <clears throat> there was a Nevermore that came off Broadway. And now I hear there's another Nevermore. And the way that works is when there is a historical moment or a historical word or a word that really you did not coin, then you can't coin it. Like, I can't write a musical called The Bible and then say, oh, you can't write a musical called The Bible because right. The Bible is a thing. Um, and that, that's also with historical figures. Like, if I wrote a musical about Audrey Hepburn, I don't own Audrey Hepburn's name. She's sort of a national uh, figure. So Historic figure. Historic figure, yeah. Um, so anyways, we, we were. I was really lucky and blessed. Um, the original cast starred uh, Jackie... Piro Donovan, um, Flo, Flo Lacey, Dan Cooney, Amy McWilliams, and Lauren Williams, um, and Shan McQuay. And it was just a really great, um, I, I never forget, sitting up in the rafters. The, the run was already sold out, of course, at Signature, so I, I couldn't get a seat ever. Uh, the orchestra was completely a, a gothic chamber um, orchestra with uh, strings, and um, a harp, and it was really a beautiful experience. Can you tell me a little bit about the characters in Nevermore and what what the relationships to Poe, like, what is the evening? I, I know it's about kind of like a... Tell, tell us now that you've done the, the process of getting it there, What what is the show about? What do we see in the evening of Nevermore besides his poet uh, po- poems and things? Well... This really is kind of an evening of Poe being a witness to his own death. He kind of sort of dies in the beginning as if he did in the streets of Baltimore and uh, 1849. And he um, kind of is revisited. It's kind of like that thing of like when you um, kind of face your, 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 your life flashes before your eyes when you're dying. This kind of... Uh, is that show kind of based on that. And um, so when Poe collapses in the beginning, he's immediately met by five women in his life. And there is his mother, who was a a, a real actress uh, in her day. Uh, his first and last love, Elmira, who was from Richmond, uh, who is a historical character. Virginia, his cousin, who he ended up marrying, Marrying, who's a real figure. Muddy, who lived here in Alexandria, Virginia, who was Virginia's aunt and also his aunt. Um, And then the only person that was kind of uh, sort of a fictional character was um, the character of the whore, who kind of embodied all women, all mothers, all daughters, all female characters in his life. And she was sort of the... um, the caretaker of him throughout the entire evening from beginning of the journey to the end, ushering him into a final acceptance of his death. It kind of became how one grapples with one's failures and successes, dreams, hopes, and fears all in one um, evening of theater. Because, of course, he dealt with a lot of... um, addiction issues and he wrote very macabre things um he was married to his uh, cousin which at that time i don't think was frowned upon i don't know if it was necessarily cheered but it was not it wasn't something that was completely it wasn't uncommon was uncommon 
uh, because at that time the female wanted or needed a male to take care of them because of financial situations and whatnot, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never claimed to be a Poe expert. I was never drawn into Poe because I wanted to like stand up and give lectures about Poe. Uh, but I really thought that his poems really lent themselves to music, which is interesting because he was called and, and kind of panned by other critics at the time as uh, they called him the Jingle Man because they thought that his poetry kind of was like a jingle. And it's interesting because a lot of the um, a lot of Poe's poetry is not meant to be read in your head. It's meant to be heard and be spoken, which is why the poem The Bells becomes such a musical tonality piece because if you really speak the consonants and the words that he puts together, you actually will hear what kind of bells he's trying to make you hear. So his his language is not only um, about telling a story, it's about hearing one through his spoken word. So we've seen several productions, including the original uh, Kensington Arts Theater, uh, several around here, and then plus photos or videos from uh, productions across the world. And what strikes me is that it is so um, amorphous. Like, you can do this in any size venue. You can do it in any kind of setting, design. Uh, There was recently a production that was kind of almost modernized. Uh, It's it's universal because his words are still so uh, revered and valid and... If I see one more Poe meme, uh, right? I, mean, I love it when people send me Poe things as if I haven't like seen, seen them. It. Right? They're like, have you seen this? This is hysterical. I'm like, yeah, I've just got 28 of them. Poe is such a huge figure on the internet. Yeah, I mean, he's still right now. The the Synetic Theater is doing the madness of Poe based on his works. He is well. I mean, it's interesting because this area, um, you know, we're not from Baltimore, but this area between like Richmond to Baltimore were his stomping grounds. Well, it's kind of Richmond, Baltimore, Philly, New York, Boston. So all the coastal cities. Yeah, it's all of those, really. And all of them at one time, you know, I don't know if they still do, they used to always fight over who was the Poe town, kind of, because I think think there was a house at Fordham in the Bronx, Mm -hmm. and then there's, of course, a lot of stuff that happened in Philadelphia. I think the unfortunate thing is he died in Baltimore, probably didn't do as much stuff in Baltimore, but because he died there, it seemed like he was really... Belonged to there. Belonged there, yeah. But but the can you speak to the abstract nature of the show as far as, like, this can be done in a storefront theater, this can be done and has been in, like, a large theater with, like, chandeliers hanging. Um, yeah, the show was supposed to be a dreamscape. It's supposed to be... I mean, we actually kind of flew to Las Vegas to watch... Uh, Cirque du Soleil live. Le Rev. Le Rev, because we wanted to get an idea of how to kind of, uh, what window to see the show through. And it was kind of that evening. It was very emotional. The costumes were very uber, if you will. They were, uh, some of them were couture. Um, It really took on a Poe, almost Tim Burton-like feel where everything was just a little bit heightened. The eyes were heightened, the hats were heightened, the boots were heightened. 
to a sense where it was exaggerated in Poe's world. So when it was happy, it was very happy, and it was sad, it was very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like the life of an artist. And there's some funny moments in the show. I think uh, Grace Barnes' book is really, really a delight. Absolutely. And um, I know that I've seen the show quite a bit around here, and maybe I'm kind of... Um, uh, boasting about it or whatever but um it's it's hard to find book writers that really really speak in one voice and i know that me and you have found that in each other sure uh lately but before you there was grace uh Mm -hmm. in the very beginning and i think she kind of really found a beautiful matching poetic script to match the poetic words of nevermore agreed agreed the script is delicious um and wonderful um Let's call Grace right now and see what she has to say about the damn thing. <laughs> I'd love to talk to Grace. Um, so, uh, what's what's crazy about the show is even more, like you said, the journey of how it got to be a show between the house burning down and picking up this book randomly. You still have it upstairs in the office. It's yep, like, I still have the original book. It's like the family Bible. It's got cor- um, it's got chords written in it. It's it got little notes in it. It does. This even caused a spin-off children's show called uh, Edgar Allan Poe Academy. Academy. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, what's funny is every time, and maybe this is with every show, but every time Nevermore was done, it created this weird, not weird. Cast fan. Well, yeah, it just created this community of like, oh my gosh, we're doing Poe because the music is so um, gr- melodious and it, you, you get to get in that sort of like... Um, spirit of what Poe is about which is just life and death and yearning and wanting and loving um, but yeah it's it's supposed it's supposedly right now is going to have some sort of return in the UK 2022 I look forward to hearing about that I don't know how that's going to happen with our you know current situation but that is what is being talked about so that's great. Mm-hmm. I would love to find a, a, a way to do it in Baltimore. It's not been done in Baltimore, and I think And that's... it was supposed to have been right before the pandemic. Oh, really? Oh, yep. crap. Yep. I forgot about that. You know, what's funny is someone once came to me and said, Matt, why do, you, why do you always write dark things? And I said, well, I was raised in the church. And every story I was ever told kind of started with some sort of horror story and ended in some sort of salvation the darkness going towards the light. Mm. There's the story of Christ. There's a story of Noah. There's a story of Moses. There's a story of Abraham. There's a story of Jacob. There's a story of Isaac. I mean, they all have the same... um, Darkness into light? Yeah, moving into the light. And um, so, not that I think that my Bet Poe has anything to do with Jesus, but um, the same sort of human, uh, spiritual... Uh, seeking redemption and salvation so absolutely um you know what let's take a break we'll be right back for generations people in fairfax virginia have heard tales of the bunny man now bunny man brewing offers a tasty array of high quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors come by to have a sample and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap 
at bunnymanbrewing.com. And we're back. All right. So uh, it was. Uh, it wasn't. It was a. Uh, the show's been done for a, you know, about fifteen years, and um, one at one point, the Strathmore had contacted me about doing something with a an event called Poe and Puck and Poe. Puck, po. Puck from Midsummer Nights and Poe from Poe. And um, it was like a Shakespeare and Poe kind of thing. Yeah, and they wanted to know if we would do <clears throat> a Nevermore concert there at the mansion at the Strathmore. And I said yes, and I kind of whipped together a team of actors who had kind of either A, already been, had already done the show, or um, was familiar with my work or whatever. And I immediately asked Stephen if he would be Poe, because I knew that he knew the music and would be able to sing it, because Stephen has such a great voice. Uh. And uh, um, Lauren Williams came back for her like final performance as Virginia. Right. Rachel Zampelli was Elmira, who had already played the part in West Virginia at the Greenbrier. That's right. Uh, Susan Derry was Mother, who I don't think had ever done no. anything. And was Danny? Mm-hmm. Danny, Danny Stolder was our whore who already knew the part from playing it before. So we were in really good shape, and Bobby McCoy played the music. And Muddy was um, Katie McManus. That's right. Yeah. And anyway, we have that recorded someplace. But with that, I, I was, you know, I've never really worked with Stephen in an actor director capacity ever. Not that I've never wanted to, but we've never really had anything happen like that where like you would direct me. I mean, except for like it would feel too much like <clears throat> almost like a vanity thing. Yeah. Like, but there, there was something about you playing the part. Um, so the Strathmore, I felt like, was my audition. Maybe, but after that night, I was like, wow, you should really play this part if we ever do it. And we ended up doing it again at Creative Cauldron, except this time we changed the set uh, for, the, I think, the first time ever to be a shipwreck. And, mm. and, and that really changed everything. It was a shipwreck. Why don't you just talk about all of that uh, experience with Creative Cauldron and the shipwreck and... Your, I mean, Poe's not an easy role to get through. And also you can bring up the night you didn't use um, the correct eyeliner. Yeah, we'll get to that. <clears throat> well, I believe it was Margie Jervis's idea, the, the shipwreck conceit, right? Didn't she kind of have an idea and bring it to you? And then you kind of like, at first were like, I don't know. And then you were like, actually, this is brilliant. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Because I do remember thinking, ah... Uh... And then we kept finding more and more water motifs. Yeah. Um, we were walking the boys, Eddie and Edgar Allan Pug and Lord Byron Pug, uh, one day. And there's this thing in Fairlington called Big Trash Night. And we found this, like, two and a half foot tall dollhouse that was like a colonial, like, Williamsburg looking with big columns house and we both just saw it and we knew nevermore was coming up and we were like that's gotta be in the show it's gotta be in the show and so we grabbed it it was um we we found really cool ways to use that the ship itself became kind of my uh place as poe that i would it was my home base there were other pieces and elements all throughout um but the shipwreck itself 
became the metaphor for everything, his life. And uh, this was a dream role of mine. Um, I really felt like me doing the Strathmore was my audition to see if I could do it right. I was so nervous that night. I was so appreciative. My mother and father came to see it. Um, it was a very special night. I was so insanely nervous. Um, and we, uh, I, and this is to foreshadow a later story. I sweat profusely most of the time. Uh, it's not pleasant. It's just, but when performing and under lights, it's amplified even more. Um, so I had to have like a handkerchief at the concert to make sure I was not just dripping. Um, it's very attractive. So put a pin in that for later. So we're rehearsing at Creative Cauldron, um, and the cast was fantastic. Uh, so many fantastic people in the cast. Well, and the shipwreck <clears throat> kind of spawned off a lot of other uh, wackadoo, not wackadoo, but ideas. And I know that we kind of changed around the idea of the raven. Yeah. And the the whore in this production was Mary... Catherine. Mary Kate. Mary Kate Brie. Yep. Mother was Catherine. Riddle. Yep. And Virginia was Sarah. Sarah Hurley. Mm -hmm. Muddy was Jen. Pagnard. Lyons. Yep. And who were we missing? Uh, Elmira was. Um, Aaron. Oh, Granfield. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, not, that Aaron Granfield. My God. Her audition for that. Aaron had auditioned for stuff before for, for us, but. Man, when she walked in for Nevermore, I, at the end of the audition, I just sat there and wept. Mm. And was like, what, what is happening? And I auditioned with all of the, the women. Um, and it was a, a very much like an active like workshop audition. Yeah. Where you were giving us crazy things to do. Yeah. And, and it, was, <clears throat> it was fun for everyone, um, including me. It helped me inform and explore different ways to play Edgar, uh, I definitely was a different, I'm not trying to toot my own horn at all. I think I played Edgar differently than we've seen at least. Well, I mean, the, the era the, the era has changed a little bit on uh, male toxicity. Yes, and I think that now that we're seeing a different lens into that, what you brought to it <clears throat> was a little bit more of a, a um, childlike Poe because you know Poe never knew his mother and in, in the script in the show where he meets her he never really had that opportunity so it's kind of made up in this world when he has his scenes with his mother and that's kind of what he's searching for the entire time is this this love this unconditional acceptance and from this he's a man baby <clears throat> yeah and, and that's kind of where you came from I tried not to play it uh, the toxic male that I'd seen before um, and and also to try to find his voice uh, his elocution his different things and I, I couldn't probably recreate it if I tried right now but it was very fun to find because um, it was quite affected I wish I could do it I love telling the stories I love the mask of the red death I loved um, the the moments of, of God uh, silence, twofold silence. Brilliant direction by you. Um, 
But I, I think this was a dream role. I always wanted to play this role. I never thought, oh God, I, I'll never look like Poe. I can't grow facial hair. I can, it turns out, but it's just, uh, I have to color my hair uh, black and my mustache black and my eyebrows black. And then I was working for Arlington County in the day trying to not look like a freakazoid. Um, but it worked in the end. I, I curled my hair up on the sides uh but makeup is not a skill i possess being a male in musical theater we don't have to do a lot um and i hadn't done a lot of weird parts that you know required eccentric makeup so i was trying my best going through the wet and wild catalog um, from the cvs and i got a I guess it was an eyeliner that was a liquid eyeliner that I didn't realize was not waterproof. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> by the end of the show, you looked like I looked like my eyes were crying black. <laughs> and so our friend, the brilliant, talented Chris Urquiaga, was seeing the show that day, and he was like, "I thought it was on purpose." It's <laughs> <laughs> like I did not know, and the poor cast had to play opposite me. And they couldn't do anything about it. And they, they, I'm sure they were trying to keep a straight face, but it also looked kind of ghastly. Yeah. So then I learned the, the magnificence of Color Stay, uh, waterproof mascara, and also a spray finishing thing that you spray on your face to hold your makeup on. Gosh, Things... we, we could actually have like a Nevermore reunion concert. There was Evan Hoffman that played him. Yep. Uh, of course, Dan Cooney, Sean you, Thompson, Sean Thompson. Uh, there was Carissa Swanigan, Mary Payne Omahandro, uh, Danny, Danny Danger. I mean, just so many people. So many. There's been at least one, two, three, five, six. There's been at least six casts here locally. Wow, that's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll be right back. From award-winning journalist and author Michael Lee Pope. The Ghosts of Alexandria. His spellbinding book tells of historical intrigue, the brutal beginnings of a port city, romances that end in tragedy, restless spirits like the tomb of the female stranger who's said to haunt Gadsby's Tavern, and the three falling ghosts of the Carlisle House. Explore the supernatural journey of the Ghosts of Alexandria, available at ArcadiaPublishing.com. So was was I one of your favorite Poes, I have to ask? You know, I think you were one of my favorite Poes. Um, but also, I have, I've had the advantage of really being a part of many, many different incarnations. And not only did I get to do the show once with a brilliant cast at Signature, but I've been allowed to kind of see the show again and again and again. And as you know, with shows that we've done... Um, looking at things over again you learn something different because when you're in that first room my gosh it's fast and furious and nuts um but then to be able to sit back and have a little bit of um perspective and have other people ask questions that aren't trying to make that first production successful um well and you so 
You were in the room for the production in 2005. In 2010, Sean Thompson at Creative Cauldron, and then in 2018 with me at Creative Cauldron. I've been a little hands-on, but not much with the Workhouse production in Lorton and the Kensington production in Maryland, which was just me kind of influencing questions asked by the directors or whatever, because when you get the piece and stuff, you're always kind of like, huh? So this production is done very frequently in the, the you know this area, the DMV. It was. It was. And of course now, I guess if you want to do the show... You would, if you were, a, you could probably do a concert version fairly easy, but <clears throat> I'd have to figure out the people would have to contact you. Yeah, for that. but we'd have to figure out the orchestrations and all of that. Um, but it's still, it's still doable. Um, right now, you're on a pause trying to figure out uh, your situation. Well, you know, not everybody houses their stuff in uh, with companies. For instance, if you want to do Always Patsy Klein. You don't go through a publishing house. The same, I believe, with like Reefer Mad. Yeah, you, you call the people that did it and they say, here you go. Or and, our other works. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not nervous about that. Um, we'll figure that out when the time comes. It was just our scary um, podcast season to talk about things. And Poe, of course, has been around for a very long time with all of his stories. The Mask of the Red Death and the Black Cat or this Black Pug. Edgar Allan Pug is freaking out right now. We named our dog Edgar Allan Pug. And we didn't want to make this about us doing Nevermore as much as just celebrating Poe's, you know, life. And, you know, it must be kind of odd to think that Poe wrote things and now it's ended up being, you know, put into a musical and into a movie and several musicals. Several movies. Several movies. Um, But anyways, so that's kind of the, the wrap on Nevermore. Yeah, I mean... So who knows? We'll probably think of something to do with it in the next year. Maybe next Halloween we'll we'll do that that celebrity um, DC reunion. That would be amazing. I I uh, want to just thank uh, you for talking to me about that. This seems a little self serving, but I couldn't do a creepy season without talking about Poe or without talking <laughs> about Nevermore. And you know. We are kind of the creepy writer team as far as musical theater goes, one of them at least. Yeah. So we had to kind of highlight some of our stuff along the way, because if if not now, when? Yeah, coming soon, Dante, the Christmas show. No. Uh, <clears throat> seven, seven layers of Christmas. Um, so thank you, Maddie. Uh, thank you to all those listening who have been in Nevermore along the way, have helped make Nevermore what it is, and will continue it into the future. Yeah. Um, so I guess here's time for crass commercial announcements. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. Connor with an ER. Follow us on Facebook, Connor and Smith, again with an ER. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, if you're interested in some merch, I'll put the merch link in the description. If you take a picture of yourself wearing said merch... We will display that on our social media and in our newsletter uh, and give you a nice shout-out. Um, only a couple episodes left. We thank you all so much for coming along the journey. I said it before, I'll say it again. We've doubled our listenership in this season, too, and that's a really big deal. Um, so, as we always say in season two, never, never stop questioning. questioning. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.